Welcome to our podcast. I know that many of you want to explore our courses, and we want you to have an easy way to do that. So we've created several complimentary workshops that give you the opportunity to taste our unique brand of experiences. To reserve your spot, visit view.life slash explore, or click the link in the show notes. For My Daughter on Her 21st Birthday by Ellen Bass. When they laid you in the crook of my arms like a bouquet and I looked into your eyes, dark bits of evening sky, I thought, of course this is you. Like a person who has never seen the sea can recognize it instantly. They pulled you from me like a cork and all the love flowed out. I adored you with the squandering passion of spring that shoots green from every pore. You dug me out like a well. You lit the deadwood of my heart. You pinned me to the earth with the points of stars. I was sure that kind of love would be enough. I thought I was your mother. How could I have known that over and over you would crack the sky like lightning, illuminating all my fears, my weaknesses, my sins? Massive the burden this flesh must learn to bear like mules of love. Wow. What was that poem? Who wrote uh, that? It's <laughs> For My Daughter on Her 21st Birthday by Alan Bass. Oh, give me chills. I love that. Yeah. Oh. Welcome to The Art of Accomplishment, where we explore how deepening connection with ourselves and others leads to creating the life we want with enjoyment and ease. I'm Alexa. And I'm Brett. And, and I'm Joe. <laughs> and I'm overjoyed. Watching you two is great. So if you haven't discerned this so far, today's episode is going to be on parenthood. And we don't yet know what we're going to talk about. But right now, Alexa and I have been sitting in the question of when kids, how kids, what does it mean? Uh, identity, freedom. How do we do it? <laughs> How do we do it in a way that serves the kids best, takes care of ourselves? Yeah. And just to add to it, I mean, I didn't ever consider that I might want kids until quite late in life. Likewise. Like until I fell in love with Brett mm. and mm -hmm. imagined what it would be like to raise a person with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's similar for me. I was not expecting to want that until until I imagined it with you. Mm. So that seems like a sign. So to kick this off, one of the burning questions for me is, like, what if we have kids? What if we don't? What are those two completely different life trajectories? And I'm curious for you, how you experienced that process. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, it was just really clear. I didn't want to have kids. Tara really wanted to have kids. Like, when she hit like 30, she's like, I want kids, I want kids, I want kids. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and um, and then there was a call. There was just like, it was just clear. It was clear like, oh, this is the, 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 the kid wants to come now. So for me, the, 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 the odd experience and it feels kind of woo-woo, but I can't deny what's true is that like it, I literally just felt like oh it's it's time this this wants to happen so it was more of a calling and less of a intellectual decision to, okay now's the time to have kids mm 
Mm-hmm. It was like literally felt like it felt like okay, now now is the time. And and we I think we had sex like we had been having unprotected sex for years. We were being as careful as you can being unprotected. Um, but then we were like, okay, now it's time. I was like, now it's time. I was like, yeah, I feel it. It's time. And boom, like one, one, she was pregnant. Wow. It was just like that. It was so, it was so clear. So that, that's how it was for me. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, there was no intellectual decision that was being made. It was just very clear. No. And then it was a very clear. Yes. And I wasn't really contemplating whether I should or shouldn't. I, I definitely remember feeling like, we're not financially stable enough to have kids. Mm. Yeah. But we sure as hell were not financially stable enough when we, <laughs> when we conceived Esme, like um, between the moment of conceiving Esme and her birth, like I went from like out of like in from major debt, just from like living because I was meditating all the time to completely out of debt in that nine month period and making because like the best salary Esme? I'd ever made. You know, that's a great question. They, there's a saying that says that like um, babies come with loaves of bread under their arms that like, like you look throughout America and most kids, they show up and like they're somehow or another figure out a way to be taken care of. And so, but I, I think what happens is uh, my experience was something hormonally probably kicked in for me. Tara was like, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the breadwinner. You're going to be the stay at home dad. I was like, Yep. And then as soon as she got pregnant, all that shit changed. Like it was, I was just like, was like, okay, let's make money. And Tara, and by the time the baby was born, Tara's like, yeah, I'm not leaving this kid. Fuck making money. You go do that. <laughs> you know, it was like <laughs> the entire roles, what we thought was going to happen didn't happen. And, which was like yeah. the, the biggest pain and, and also the biggest love of having children, especially in the early ages, is it felt like it was a deep tissue massage, right? Like the more you resisted, you were just fucked. So you don't resist. You just like, it's going to tear parts of your identity away. It's going to tear parts of what you think is right away. Like everything just starts shifting. And if you, and I think that the, the spiritual journey of having, being a parent is allowing all that stuff to be let go and to have it ripped from you so that you can find out what your essence is. Mm. I don't see a lot of parents do that, but if you do that, it's like an incredibly important journey to be on. And that happened like right from the beginning, right from the beginning. It was just like, you think this? Nope. You think you control this? Nope. You think you control, (laughs) you think you control how you sleep? Nope. (laughs) It was just like, everything was just taken. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to what extent that prior to conception, even, when you started to feel yeah. that call, to what extent did you feel like that call was dragging you kicking and screaming through the through the field? Or to what extent you felt the call and you just dropped everything else? You're like, okay, I'm on this call now. It, it, it was surprisingly, it was surprisingly like, yep, this is the time. I can't deny it. It was surprisingly that. Mm-hmm. It was like... I would have expected kicking and screaming because I was so, I was like, no, 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 for so long. And then when mm-hmm. it hit, yes, it was just so clear. And Tara was going through her journey too. And I definitely, like in retrospect, I see how like Tara and I met in a way that also like 
there was a, her, she was doing her change. She was very focused on work and she was changing. That was moving in her to the point where we could be more connected. And I think that was part of what made it like, oh, this is the time this feels right. But it was without a doubt, just felt like it was like, knock, 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 knock. It's time. Let me in. Like that was the feeling. Oh, wow. I'm yeah. envious. I mean, I have a lot of compassion for you, but it was so clear that I don't. Oh, I feel like there are calls in both directions for me. Yeah. Yeah, and that wasn't, my was a very clear no, and then a, yep, okay, let's do this. Now, the third kid was like, Tara was like a very clear yes, and I was a very clear no, and that was, that was a different thing. Hmm. But both Una and Esme, it was like a clear calling, like this is it. This is the time we're doing this now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've been noticing shifting in myself. I mean, as we recently said on recently published episode, probably by now, we were just at a grief ceremony for somebody in our community who recently lost a child. And yeah, one of the things that I might have expected hearing the story of all the medical complications, hearing the story of all the judgment from outside, hearing the story of how rough it was and how difficult and much of a challenge it was for their relationship. My expectation mm. might have been that it would have made me less likely to want kids. And yeah. also in witnessing it and witnessing the love, even despite various levels of potential hopelessness, just witnessing the love mm. that was there actually yeah. I feel like made me more likely to want kids, which is kind of freaky because that that feels like a process <laughs> that is not what I would have expected or like what my intellect would do or like it right. it doesn't seem like I'd be better off putting myself in a position where I'm in hospitals all the time caring for someone who's very likely to die before they become old enough for me to know them as a personality. And yet that story just all of it has done unexpectedly un indescribable things in my system that make me feel more likely to lean into whatever that is. And I'm a little bit bewildered by that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just wait and if you have one <laughs> it's an undescribable it's an indescribable you know like one of my kids is about to go to college now and you know i used to count her life in months and then i counted her life in years and now i count her life in months again like hmm. yeah I, I like the how much i'm gonna feel a part of me ripped away when she leaves home hmm. like it's a you're you in parenthood you are opening yourself up to unlimited heartbreak whether you lose the kid or not lose the kid if you actually allow yourself to feel the thing of there there's just like and and it, it and like we like i've said like the 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 breaking of the heart is like breaking it open. It just increases your capacity to love. Like I, I am a hundred percent confident. I could not do the work that I do in the world if it wasn't for having kids. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. All, all the emotional work came from raising children. 
all that all that emotional work came because seeing just kids and how they process emotions and how that's our nature and and how like all these intellectual ideas of emotions were off like all of that like sitting in loving attention as my children threw temper tantrums in the middle of whole foods like mm. that's what i do for a living today <laughs> that's, what, that's, what I, <laughs> that's what i do you know yeah. so yeah it's like yeah the the whole my whole capacity to love has changed deeply because of my children and they constantly yeah. are constantly teaching me that is beautiful and really deeply yeah. compelling yeah there's yeah i don't I'm, there's no regrets right it's the meaning like i ha i have a story that's the other day Esme and I were, Esme was coming to me asking for advice. I'm lucky I have teenagers who come and like ask me for advice from time to time. And she was telling, I can't remember all the things about it, but she was telling me that like she was having this issue with this boy. And I remember looking at her and saying, that's, that's me. Like you learned that from me. Like that, that's a, when you were three years old, I did this, I did this, you know, I was not able to be with you in this way, in this way emotionally. And that created this fear in you of getting hurt. And I see that happening now. And I'm so sorry for, so sorry for teaching you that. And wow. like, I don't like, I remember that in that moment, I remember thinking, wow, I wish I would have fucked up a little bit more so I could have more moments like this. Right? Because like when you're, when you're, when you're like, when you're, when you're, when the kids are like two years old, you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm fucking it up. And you are like, like there's no perfect parent. So you're definitely fucking up your kids here and there. And, um, but I never thought that like we could actually have like such a deep moment of connection over me fucking up my kids. Right. So it was just really, yeah amazing thing that it's not just like one moment it's kind of like the unfolding that is that's a large part of the power of having kids yeah what i'm struck with there is also the gift that that was for her because oh yeah you know, so many of us have we have whatever upbringing we have and we come to love our parents as they are and wherever wherever they're at and also we often go and do the work on like, okay, these are the patterns that I adopted, and now I'm going to do the work on freeing myself of those patterns. And as I free myself of those patterns, I can love my parents as they are, but I don't necessarily expect them to, in their context, in their generation, having different access to these tools or like the culture around self exploration, that they're going to, that we're going to have a healing moment in that way. But to yeah. the gift for her as a teenager to be able to have that experience with you where you're owning your peace shamelessly and with love is a really cool thing. Yeah. makes me feel a lot less concerned about whatever ways we might impart our patterns on our kids, because those are just opportunities for that experience. Yeah. I also remember like going, Oh, it's healed. Like as soon as I said it, and as soon as she accepted it, I'm like, that's that pattern is healed in her. 
and which is like a, something that I don't see very often. Like, oh, if there's actually that acknowledgement, like you can like it actually heals really quickly, which is which is mm. a cool, which is a cool piece. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it hasn't. That was three or four months ago. I haven't seen it come back up again. So. Hmm. Yeah. Like that's the opportunity of having kids. Like they, they will, they will <laughs> with a big knife poke at everything, <laughs> everything that unreconciled in you. I remember early on when we found hand in hand parenting, it was, it was the first time that I felt like I was doing it right. It was the first mm-hmm. time that I felt like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to parent. And so one of the things that I discovered through parenting was like that listening to, oh, does this feel right? Because when I had such a clear understanding of like, oh, eh, eh, parenting was, eh, 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 and then when it went, oh, that feels right. There was this moment of, oh, this is how you do life. Like, eh, mm. eh, eh, is not. Like you keep on iterating until you go, oh, that feels right. And hand in hand parenting and that part of parenting was the first time that I had really felt that it was another big lesson for me personally. Hmm. And, I, and I can't say enough good stuff about hand in hand parenting or about Tara who insisted that we use it. So I was hmm. a little reluctant at the beginning. Yeah, I really enjoyed that at the beginning of our 18 month course that was the first reading. It was, it was like, I presumed it to be a business course. And the first book was listen from hand in hand parenting. And it was about <laughs> how to be with kids. And it's like, Oh, I see. This is also how to be with CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm also curious at what ages did that for, for Esme and Una did hand in hand parenting come up and, Prior to that, what what are some of the patterns that you were in? What were some of the ways that you were parenting that ultimately imprinted on them and that you've learned from? Yeah, so Una got hand-in-hand parenting pretty much from birth. Esme didn't get it till like two and a half years old. And so that's actually what I was apologizing for was stuff that had happened before that moment um, with her. I think that... So for me, I was very much in that I sh- like the right way to parent is the way that I was parented, which is like, I think most people, most people, 90% of what they're doing is what their parents did to them. And then 10% is something that they had a problem with their parents. And so they are overcorrecting. Like I just see yeah. a lot of that mm-hmm. happen in society. Um, and so, so I was, you know, I mean, I, at the beginning of parenting, I was more quick to shame. I was I, more quick to abandon, more quick to punish, more quick to have them, have her listen to my voice rather than her own voice, right? Like through compliments or through anything like that. And so through mm-hmm. the hand in hand process, and they don't talk about any of this stuff. It just happened through the hand in hand process. Like we don't shame our kids they might feel shame sometimes, but like we actively make it a practice not to shame them. We don't punish them. 
and you've met our kids. It's not like they're like full mayhem out in the world. They're, you know, doing great, cool shit in the world. And they're, they're amazing. Yeah. Self, self-sustained. And so like none of that shit was required, but I was definitely doing that kind of stuff at the beginning, you know, getting very frustrated and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Resisting so, the deep tissue and massage they were trying to give you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and thinking, thinking that it like, there's a weird way in which like children can raise themselves. Like that's the weird part is like, if you can be in loving witness of children and you can draw boundaries, like, which is often challenging, like the rest of it, they can almost all do themselves is it it's when you start like taking away their excitement, settle down, Johnny, when you start taking away their sadness, when you start taking away their temper tantrums, then you stop them from being able to actually navigate the world. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I see in parenting generally is that people treat two-year-olds and five-year-olds and seven-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds like adults, and they're not. <laughs> it's like, like you don't intellectualize with a two-year-old. Their brain isn't online. They're prefrontal. They can't do imaginary thinking. What's actually happening, like you'll see this, you'll see these um, parents and they'll be like, okay, Johnny, well, you shouldn't do this and you should do this. And the kid's two years old, but the kid is just a hundred percent responding to the emotional presence of their parent. Yeah. They're not mm-hmm. responding to the words they're responding to like, and that was the amazing thing is to watch kids just respond to how you are emotionally is mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like you get wound up, they get wound up. You calm down, they calm down. It, it, I remember Una, like if I was not present, Una would come over to my lap, grab my face and like point it towards me and make me have eye contact with her. <laughs> and maybe she would say, I love you, daddy. It was like, she was, she was like, this, our field is not, is not coherent right now. Our field is not relaxed right now and so i my job as a kid is to get us back into connection wow and i I see that with kids all the time like they're constantly looking they're like they feel safe when there's that connection between their them and their parents and if they don't have it they freak out a little bit and and then need to regulate through emotions wow that that breaks my brain because my my perception is always of like Parents are just trying to be well regulated, and the kids are like, "I have milk on the floor, right. cry." <laughs> and the picture you just painted is much more of like that of an emotional support animal, which like just is totally not my perception of kids. But I can right. see it. It's that they are relating on in the early years only an emotional or physical or embodied level. And yeah, that would be such a beautiful invitation that's constantly there to like a mirror that if you're listening to it is a really beautiful guide and grounding to, to emotional presence. And if you're not listening to it, it'll be everything that I described in the previous frame. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and they do it. What's what's really weird is to know that they do it when they feel safe or they have no choice. So like our kids would like hold it all together when they were like somewhere else. And then like when they get home, they'd be like, blah. And it's like, <laughs> to me, be, to be able to interpret that, to learn to interpret that as, oh, they feel safe now. They yeah. feel safe enough where they can like get back into emotional regulation through releasing a whole bunch of emotions and to see it as, Oh, they're releasing emotions so they can get back to connection instead of they are releasing emotions because they're out of control or because they're bad or because they're um, naughty or because they, you know, can't control themselves to see like, Oh, they know exactly what they're doing. They're releasing a whole bunch of emotions so that they can get back into connection and they would do it consistently you, if you just sit in loving attention of their emotional experience, they will come back into connection. Oh. It's, you know, so they just know how to do it. And, and the, the, the bigger problem is that we don't, <laughs> or like I didn't, <laughs> you know, the bigger, the bigger problem was that like they would do that and I would get dysregulated by their emotion because I feel responsible or because I would feel overwhelmed by my own version of that, that I wasn't letting out. And that was like the big blessing of, parenthood for me was that like every single emotion that I was not okay with, I saw that in my kids and I learned how to be okay with it. I learned how to release it. I learned how to love it because of my children. Cause I could see my children, they welcomed every emotion. Hmm. Oh, I want everyone to hear this. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's bringing up for me is common tropes that I've seen out on social media or common advice if people are like, enjoy your kids while they're in the stage where they love you because eventually they're going to hate you or <laughs> oh, shit. they're going to eventually they're going to be 16. They'll despise you and they'll move out. And it's just like, Oh, that that's such a common reality. Yeah, that's, that is not my reality. Not only that, like I notice that like all my kids friends who know us want to be around us like oh yeah i believe it I, yeah I, what i want to say is something i don't know if it's true but like what what comes to mind is like hey don't hate your kids and they won't hate you Ooh. like hmm. yeah there's there's something about like Like when, what, like, like when the kids hit teenage years, which hand in hand parenting doesn't really go into, but when the kids hit teenage years, there's something that happens where like their job is to push against the pool. There's like the, their job is to push off against the edge of the pool and you're the edge of the pool. And yeah. it's like their job. And if you give them the, the kind of the lane to swim in, that's all that's really necessary. And the lane is like, yeah, you treat people with respect you contribute around, you know, you, you contribute, you treat people with respect. And when you show that you can take responsibility, you can have the freedom. And that's all that seems to really be necessary. If you haven't like completely emotionally fucked them up by telling them that they can't have certain emotions as kids, and then they've never learned to regulate themselves. Right. But that's all that seems to be really necessary about it. But most of the time, the kids who are like hating their parents are 
have been told their whole life that they there's some part of them that's not okay. It's not okay for you to be sad. Mm. It's not okay for you to be angry. It's not okay for you to be scared. It's you know, and so they they've been told that they're not okay. And why the fuck should they want to be with or not hate somebody who's been telling them that they're not okay on some level for for years? Yeah. And not that any parent not that any parent is logically saying you're not okay. I mean some parents are criticizing all the time, but like, yeah. that's the weird part is that the parents actually love the kids, but they're sending the signal that they need to be adjusted mostly because the parent is sending themselves the signal all the time that they need yeah. to be adjusted. And so to not do that to your children, to not do that to, to your children requires you to love yourself. You don't want right. to fuck your kids up, love yourself. Yeah. And that that's sort of the trick for most people, huh? But and it also seems like uh there's this there's another way of putting it, something about um not feeling ashamed of yourself. Mm. Yeah. Cuz yeah. I I got to say one of the ways that all of this is landing for me is like oh yeah, this actually sounds amazing. I want to do this. But uh it seems easier if I could just be away from everybody else during this time, right? Like if um like it seems no problem for me to be in loving awareness with my kid having to temper tantrum in my own bubble. But if I'm in an airport or something like that, I don't know how. I don't know how to handle that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the those are the best moments too. Those are the best moments? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean one of one of my favorite stories was in the Whole Foods as I mentioned and Esme just kicking and screaming and I'm containing her so she doesn't knock shit off the 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 shelf. So I'm not I'm not holding her tightly but I'm like kind of like being a blocker to the 2-year-old mm. so she doesn't rip shit off the house and this like I mean I live in a kind of hippie community and so this like little old hippie lady she's like, "Are you okay, dear?" And Esme just stops dead, looks at her and goes, I'm just having my emotions. And then she went back into like her temper tantrum. <laughs> it was like this fucking awesome. So, yeah. The, the, I say that they're the, but they're hard, no doubt. Like to like, okay, we're doing this right now in a Whole Foods or an airport at, on an airplane. Oh, mm -hmm. like, I, yeah. and you're like worried that everybody's going to be like, and they are, there's people, anybody like, yeah. Like have a kid cry on an airplane, then just look around. You can tell who was told they couldn't cry as kids. <laughs> They're the aggravated <laughs> ones in the, <laughs> in, the, in the airplane, and um, and and those are the places that erode away, like that, like that caretaking that erode, erode away the co codependence. It's the mm -hmm. thing that erodes you protecting your uh your reputation yeah yeah you are never so, going to parent and not have people tell you that you're a bad parent <laughs> like like there's like people told tara and i were bad parents and the people who told us that right now will say to us wow you got really lucky with your kids <laughs> like, <laughs> like we had nothing to do with it <laughs> It was just hilarious. Yeah. 
in some way you had nothing to do with it. You just submitted to the deep tissue massage yes. that they were yes. offering lovingly. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what they mean by it. But yes, that right. is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's also yeah yeah in, in here there's the all the times that I've seen somebody in public with their kid and saying like no one wants to hear you cry. I'm just imagining them saying, I don't want people to see you cry. I don't, I wouldn't let people see me cry. Like what are the different statements that they're actually making there? And yeah. that's where like one of the things I think people get hung up on so much saying this as a non-parent aware of that is that people will insist like, no, no, no. I love my kids so much. And that's true. And as we talked about in the episode, how love gets confused, what that means can mean a lot of different things. And for a lot of people, Loving their kids means controlling them. Yeah. Managing them in the way that they were controlled and managed. And or or the opposite. Or the opposite, right? Yeah. Or being unboundaried with them. That's love. Love is to be unboundaried and let them do whatever they want. That's another version of the same thing. Yeah. This is the second time you've brought up boundaries as being something that can be pretty challenging. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So in general, I find that the boundaries are a little bit harder for the mom than they are for the dad. Generally, that's not always true, but that's what I noticed to be the case. Um, That like deep maternal thing. Like, I think it's a more challenging thing. Kids don't, like the way I would say it is that there's like a part of a kid that's like, I want to be independent. I want to do my own thing. And there's a part of the kid is like, I want to feel safe and I need boundaries to feel safe. And those two things create friction inside of the child. And yeah. if you don't give the boundaries, they feel unsafe. And so they start acting out more and more and more to try to get the boundaries. And so the boundaries can be really gentle and they're not and and not to be done at a distance like they it's like stay close and insist so i wouldn't be like okay brush your teeth i'd be like we're brushing our teeth now we're gonna go brush our teeth now right so it's not like you need to go and do this it's like we're gonna like there's like a support and a gentleness in the boundaries i think one of the places that boundaries don't get held in our society a lot with kids is like kids start yelling at their parents and like Mm. you wouldn't let your kid yell at anybody else like that. So what makes you, what makes it okay that they're yelling at you? And so Mm. to be very clear, like, Oh yeah, I see you're angry. Let's go get angry. Cool. Great. No problem. And we treat each other with respect. And so this is like, I, I'm not letting you do this. And, but the strange part is, is that if you're doing that, then you also have to not, you have to treat them with that same respect. Like, Mm -hmm. like for me, I remember this moment of imagining like, Oh, imagine if there was some like 1000 pound, 10 foot man or 20 foot man yelling at me at the top of their lungs. Like what would that do to my system? Like a grizzly bear. just like, (laughs) Whoa. <laughs> Respect my Exactly, <laughs> I'd be freaked out. And yet, that's what this little two-year-old's dealing with. If I'm like, if I'm getting angry like that, I'm huge. 
I am loud. I, and then to like, you know, we learned this one thing about when the kids were really small that like I would always nibble on them uh, and it was all cute and everything, but then they would start nibbling on me, but it was biting. And I'd be like, I, they shouldn't be biting me, but I was biting them. And so to like, you want your kids to treat you with respect, like treat them with respect. If you know, yeah. so it's, it's a very boundary thing, but it's also a very respectful thing. And that, that balance is a little hard to find at times, but that's the, that's one of the big tricks is mm-hmm. to treat them the way that you want to be treated, treat them the way you want them to treat mm-hmm. others. They will mimic you way quicker than they will do what you tell them to do. Oh yeah, so, definitely. I've seen that in <laughs> yeah. kids for sure. I'd love to get it yeah. like an example boundary. Or, like if your kids are yelling at you, what are, what are different ways that that boundary could be drawn? That's not, forcing them to stop somehow in some control way or abusive way but also drawing yeah. a clean respectful boundary yeah it would be it would be hey so that's not how we talk to each other but if you're angry let's go get angry i really want you to be able to be pissed and then let's come back to or if you just can talk to me with respect let's do that It's, it's so sweet. And then how simple. would you how would you help your kid get go get angry? I might even get angry with them. <laughs> like we might go pound on a bed together or yeah. Get yeah, we yeah, we've definitely gotten angry together and or sad together or yeah. Like it, hmm. it the the otherness of it is like something that really hit me about that morning ceremony, like this new idea that's been coming to me is that like People want to be um, like people want to be know that people are with them in it. They don't want to be like given advice or told what to do or judged or anything like that. People want to, Oh, like you're here in this with me and, and, and it's a basic principle, but that's very true with kids too. Kids want to know that you're in it with them. And if they feel that, if they feel like you're in it with them, they have a lot of respect for you. But if they feel like you're doing it to them, giving them advice, I see that a lot with teenagers. Like I see a lot of teenagers shut down to their parents because the parent isn't in it with them. The parent is telling them what to do. The parent is giving them advice. The parent is worried about their choices. The parent is trying to control what they're doing through influence or whatever, instead of just like, oh yeah, that sucks that like all your friends have just like gone to a party without you. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I was, I was on this hike recently where I just watched these two young college students talking and then like the adults just talking to them, like, I know something. <laughs> and instead of like listening to the wisdom of these two young kids and, and yeah, it's just something, it's something in that too. There's like a, like when you were a college, no college student wanted to be spoken to like that by, you know, <laughs> no teenager. Like when you were a teenager, you didn't want a whole bunch of advice from your parents unless you asked. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Especially if that advice came with like, I told you so's or, you know, you'd have you done that yet or anything like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love how yeah. much this is some, you know, different reflection of um, how I see you with people in so many different scenarios, situations, and how I think how your coaching is. Yeah. 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 I'm in view with my kids a lot. Yeah. And one of the things that that does is it creates the space for them to be also your teacher. Yeah. Them to be issued with a deep tissue massage on your rough edges, <laughs> your knots. Yeah. <laughs> we were t- <laughs> this morning, Tara's like, do you remember that time when Hesme said to somebody, she said, Hey, just let me have my feelings. It was like six months ago. Do you remember that? I'm like, yeah, it was me. She said it to me. <laughs> we were around the dinner table. I was trying to fix something. You know? Yeah, definitely. Then that's mm. the, that's the beauty of, of having kids. Yeah. And, and there is this weird piece about like also realizing like they can't have like theoretical thought until they're usually like whatever it is like. I think that I think it's like 15, 16 years old, but parents, but parents talk to them like that, or they're like their intellect isn't really even online until they're like eight. They still believe in like Santa Claus and that we're talking to them rationally and they're just like full feeling machines. They're like in a dream state. So it's just, it's an interesting thing because you have to like part of parenting well is that you have to like live from their point of view you can't live from your own point of view on them. Hmm. And that's like hmm. a, that's a deep lesson in itself too. Yeah. And circling that back around to one of my original fears and resistances around kids is like, but I'll have to grow up or something, something along <laughs> those lines. And there's actually this other, other frame of that. Like I'll have a one or more baby Yoda's, <laughs> opening me up <laughs> into into oh, yeah. my emotional and that dream state like reality to the extent that I can meet them there. Yeah. And that's beautiful. That definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't make any mistake about it like you will be exhausted and you will be pushed to your limits and you will not have time for yourself and you will lose yourself and you will all that stuff happens too. Mm-hmm. That's part of the yeah. pro- that's part of the deep tissue massage. Yeah, you'll be judged. I'm also afraid of what it will do to our relationship. Hmm. I was 25, 6 years old before I met Tara. I went out drinking typically I, the way I would like pick up women at the time, very dysfunctional. I would just like sit down early in a bar and I would drink until somebody hit on me. And, uh, <laughs> and so I sat down and there was, and there was a couple and they were an older couple for me at the time. So I think they were probably like 35 and they just had this really great marriage and they were drinking and partying, which was interesting, but they were just so, and I found out that they had kids and, and I was like, give me your advice. Like, tell me what, Like, how do you have such a great marriage? It's clear you guys love each other and you have a great marriage and you're intimate and and you're partying, which, you know, at 27, you're like, cool, partying is married couple. I can (laughs) do that, you know? And, um, and their, their response has stuck with me 
for my whole life, which is the most important thing in a marriage is to take care of yourself and then take care of the marriage and then take care of the kids. Mm. Sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for taking care of the kids or taking care of the marriage. But the priority is always take care of yourself first, take care of the marriage second, take care of the kids third, because you can't be in a good marriage if you haven't taken care of yourself and you can't be a good parent if you haven't taken care of the marriage. Hmm. And that wow. advice sticks with me. I love it. Yeah. And it's such an inversion yeah. of what most people say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me oddly of like a Southwest Airlines thing where they say employees first, customers second, shareholders third. Hmm. Because if the, <laughs> if the, if the employees are happy, the customers are happy, the customers are happy, the shareholders are happy. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, that it, it is, it has always struck me that inversion and it's very true and it's very hard to execute. Like it's very hard, like especially in the first two or three years to prioritize yourself. It's really, really hard. But I, I remember when our, well, I don't know, I think the second one was like 18 months old was really hard because we had been sleep deprived for years at this point. And we were like questioning the marriage and Tara and I were like, oh, I don't know. And like, we can't fix anything. And and some friend was just like, you need a weekend. You have not had a weekend together in like five years. You just need a weekend. And so we figured out how to like get a weekend, which we were not good at. And it was like, mm. at the end of the weekend, all of our problems were gone. <laughs> like we slept <laughs> like 18 hours, <laughs> like three days in a row and we just connected. And it was like, wow, really? It was just about like connecting and getting sleep. That was, it was just like that practical. Yeah. There's the part of me that's like, if you hadn't done it for five years, but you were able to do it, why not be able to do it once a quarter if you actually prioritized it and planned for it? But then I hear everybody with kids be like, oh, it's been three years since we did any travel without our kids. And yeah. also people don't want to, I imagine. There's like, I don't want to leave my kids. The moment I leave, I miss them. So there's yeah. some question in there. There's 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 some part of my brain that also wants to be like, oh, there's a way to hack this. <laughs> and and there is. There are people who are yeah. really good at hacking it. That like I like I'll tell my clients like get somebody if you can afford it, get somebody 20 hours a week to help just mm -hmm. in any way that you can like that makes a huge difference and or have a grandmother or you know or somebody who's always wanted a baby but how however you can get help i think it's like really really important i think the others some other like really cool little hacks are take turns like i've noticed like you know there's there's been people that we know who have kids they get overwhelmed and then they they get divorced and somehow or another they used to both be working full-time and now they're both working half-time and if they would have been working mm -hmm. half-time when they mm -hmm. were married they might not have gotten divorced mm -hmm. right so there's this thing that happens where you're just so tired and all you're focused on is like is the other person doing as much as me <laughs> like it's like that oh, kind yeah. of and then everybody has to be working all the time instead of like take the day off i got today tomorrow i'm gonna take off like that is a far healthier to give each other both a day off, you know, tricks like this. Like, there's just tricks like that where you can fully get your. Yeah. 
but yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. You can do all that stuff and you're still going to be overwhelmed by your kids at <laughs> times. Yeah. There's one other thing that I just noticed is that like one of the coolest things that like that made uh, being a parent such a strong spiritual practice for me is to notice that every time I was triggered, I was projecting onto my kid. If I wanted to go, you're selfish, it meant I was being selfish. If I wanted to go, why don't you just listen, it meant I wasn't listening. If I was saying, you need to calm down, it meant I needed to calm down. Mm. To see that every single time I was triggered, I was making that child into my trigger. I wasn't just like projecting it onto them. I was making it them. Like you need to calm down tells a kid that they're not calm. You're naughty uh-huh. tells a kid they're naughty, right? So you're defining them, and and so you're, it's like literally the mechanism to make them into you. To, Holy to, cow! To hand over your patterns, and if you really see that, it's such Oof. a cool thing because it's like every time you get triggered, you're like, "That's me! That's me! That's me!" Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. I see how raising kids um, was such gold for your journey. It's like, yeah, what an amazingly tight feedback loop. Immediate. Yeah. Immediate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for our kids to listen to this. Tell us <laughs> <laughs> on how far yeah. we have fallen. <laughs> and you can be like, yeah, and I'm sorry. That's not how I wanted to be with you. Oh. oh. Yeah. And then you'll cry together. (laughs) (laughs) That feels like a good end. Yeah. 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 Really beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for coming on again, Alexa. Yeah. Good to have you here. More Alexa, please. It's so good to be with you. Yeah. Okay. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And. I'm going to say that with more feeling. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for laughing over me, Joe. One more time with feeling. I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> Good. One more time with feeling. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm really grateful that people listen to this <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love to hear how it impacted you and if there's somebody that you think would enjoy it please send it their way or don't or shoot us a question or leave us a review love you all <laughs> take care bye